Chapter 22 of The Keeper of the Bees This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. The Keeper of the Bees by Jean Stratton Porter Chapter 22 The Magnificent Lie As he unlatched the gate and went inside, Jamie noticed that the front door was standing open. That meant that Margaret Cameron, who had a key, was in the house putting things to rights, as he opened the screen and passed through the door, he was fairly sure that he heard a low moaning. Swiftly he crossed the living room and stood in his bedroom door. The first thing he saw was the bed, and spread over it was a queer assortment of beads and pins and rings and bracelets and combs, the little vanities of a girl of the day, and lying open beside them was the marriage certificate he had not yet examined closely himself. A little bundle showing life lay very near to it, and on her knees beside the bed, her arms extended, her hands gripped full of the beads and bracelets, crouched Margaret Cameron, so still that she seemed to be breathing only in faint moans. The drawers of the highboy were open, and in a heap on top of it lay Jamie's rolled socks and his shirts and underclothing, so he knew that Margaret Cameron had been examining his wearing apparel, hunting out the pieces that needed to be mended. Under his shirts she had found the package that had been given to him at the hospital. The story of what had happened to her, and to him, lay spread before him, and it read like the plainest print. He could see it all, with that certificate before him reading Alice Louise Cameron. Lolly. Before he moved, before Margaret became aware of his presence, there was one thing Jamie had to do. He must make up his mind whether he would tell her that he was legally married to the girl she had idolized, with the double devotion of a widowed mother. He must tell her the truth, or he must live a lie. He must stick to it that the child was his, and its name James Lewis MacFarlane. He resolved that this was what he would be forced to do. But if he made Margaret Cameron think that he had been married to Lolly, that he'd cared for her in any slight degree, that the child was his, she would expect him to observe at least a period of mourning and he had already told her that he could not pretend to be in mourning for the mother of the child, that he had scarcely known her. That constituted the first difficulty he thought of. Jamie had to be decent no matter at what price of mental suffering or physical endurance, or to his purse. So he made his decision. He took one step forward and reached out his arms. Mother, he said. Mother Cameron, but he got no further. Margaret Cameron, still gripping the beads and the bracelets, pressed her hands against the bed to brace her and rose. She turned toward him, but her face was no longer the set, hard face of a woman in danger of losing her reason. It was a face broken, lined, and creased with sorrow, but a face down which the blessed tears of relief had rolled, until the sources of grief were nearly dried. Jamie was so surprised that he did not know what to say. It was Margaret Cameron who spoke. "'Jamie,' she said, you needn't fix up any magnificent lie. You needn't try to make me believe that you are the father of this baby. You needn't try to make me believe that you ever went through a marriage ceremony in person with my Alice Louise. You couldn't have. You didn't know her. I'm sure you never saw her. I don't know where you ran into Molly, down on the sands taking your sun baths, most likely. And I don't know what you two fixed up between you to try to save the situation. But I do know this. I know, as well as I am standing before you, that Don was the boy Lolly loved. If she ever was in trouble, it was Don. There wasn't anyone else she was accustomed to being with. There wasn't anyone else she loved with a self-effacing love. 
I can see now that all their lives together they had cared for each other, and as I think about it, I think there must have been some mistake in some way. I just don't understand this clearly. Jamie's arms closed around her. Margaret, he said, it is true that I never saw your girl until they sent for me to come to the hospital, where that certificate made them expect me to take the baby. I gave Molly the right to use my name. She used it for Alice Louise. I think that will help you to understand. Margaret Cameron stood still, clutching the pitiful little strands of cheap beads and bracelets, the tears rolling down her cheeks, her eyes fast on Jamie. Since Don is the father of the boy, I'd be glad to think the best I can of him, she said, and I'm glad to have the sore feeling wiped out that I've carried in my heart against Molly for months. I knew that she was at the bottom of helping Alice Louise to go away, but of course I didn't know that she was doing it to spare me, that she was trying frantically to fix some way that I might be kept from knowledge that would hurt me so. I didn't know that, but I know it now. There's only one thing that you can do for me. There will be some legal complication, maybe. Maybe Louise's doctor can engineer it for you. Anyway, this baby isn't going to bear your name. He should not be James Lewis MacFarlane. He's going to be Donald Cameron, and I have surely got that much to say about it. He's going on the records with his father's name, and of course he is mine. Will you have his record changed for me? Certainly I will, if it's legally possible, said Jamie. I'll talk to the doctor and find out. I think very likely that he can arrange matters as you wish without any great difficulty. He went to Margaret Cameron and took the pitiful little relics of her girl from her fingers and made them into a heap. The marriage certificate he laid back in the drawer. I might need this, he explained, in accomplishing what you want done. The certificate and these things I give you my word of honor I have not seen. I did not know, when I left the house this morning, that it would make any difference if you did run on to that package. I didn't know that I gave my name to help your girl until I saw that certificate there on the bed when I came in. Jamie picked up the baby and the bundle and put his arm around Margaret Cameron and helped her back to her home. As they went, he tried to say to her everything he could think of that might be of comfort, that might be of consolation. When they reached her living room, she freed herself took the little package he carried, laid it on the table, and gently tucked the baby in his basket. Jamie, she said, I'm thankful to you for your kindness of heart and for your good intentions. I know you're trying to comfort me, but at the present minute I happen to be a woman for whom there is no comfort. It may be that in years to come I can arrive at some sort of peace of mind concerning Lolly. It may be that in years to come I can love her baby can take him to my heart and try to get some sort of comfort from him against old age. But I'll tell you right now that it looks to me rather like a hopeless proposition. It seems to me as if, in taking the bit between their teeth and running, the youngsters of the present day had, at least in my case, met sickening disaster. Don was a fine chap, and under the pressure of necessity to get out and earn money, and earn it quickly that he might marry Lolly, he went to a job that dealt him his death and she spent her maternity period in torture. How she was tortured is attested by the fact that her health was undermined until a function that should not have hurt her permanently killed her. That's too dead. Here's a baby without a clear and legal right to a name, a brand of shame to hang over it for the rest of its life in the knowledge of several people. Here's Molly being tortured almost beyond endurance for months. And here am I, who have lived my life and done the best I could, 
left to bow my head to a blow that by no interpretation can be made into anything except a shameful blow. All the rest of my days there's nothing left for me but to go softly, to know that there is something that I must hide, that I must keep secret, that never again can I lift my head with the pride of the Camerons or the pride of my own people. There's no use, Jamie. Go home, and if it turns out that you and Molly learn to care for each other, don't get the cart before the horse. Keep yourselves right before God and before the law. Stand by the ancient pride of your race and your clan. Stand by the laws of your country and the laws of your church and the laws of God. It may sound like preaching, but who has better right to preach than I, who've had two funerals on my hands, both children I've reared in my own home, and by whom I can swear before the living God I did the very best I knew. And it was not enough. The youngsters thought they knew a better way, and they disregarded me and left me, and I wish that the good God would in some way make thousands of youngsters all over the land who are thinking about trying the same way. Oh, I wish that the good God could show them the two dead faces that I've seen so lately, dead in their youth, dead in their beauty, gone out of life, gone out of love. Those children cannot face the master and answer anything but guilty, and all the rest of life for me I must bear the burden of their sin. I'm right when I say that with bowed head for the rest of my days I must walk softly. Go home and leave me, Jamie. This is a thing I have to fight out alone. Jamie took the stricken woman in his arms and kissed her and left her. There was nothing else he could do. What she had said was true. There was no controverting it. There was no way to get around it. There were no consoling words that he could speak. But he made up his mind that with the young folks with whom he came in contact, he would try to use all the influence he might have on the side of God's laws, of man's laws, of the natural laws of physical cleanliness and decency. End of chapter 22 Read by Sandra